You're listening to 91.7 FM, WSUW, in Whitewater, Wisconsin. You're listening to WSUW, 91.7 FM, The Edge in Whitewater, Wisconsin. This is Rashkin Report, and I'm your host, Yuri Rashkin. I'm excited to welcome back to the program um, one of our favorite guests, Slava Rabinovich, straight from Moscow. Slava, how are you? I'm fine. How are you, Yuri? I'm doing very well. Um, you are one of, um, I think, most read bloggers in Russia, and uh, I think it's uh, kind of an honor and responsibility to some extent, because with the official information being so misleading and so limited, more and more people are turning to internet, social media, Facebook in Russia uh, to get their news. Um, how do you go through uh, the process? You have uh, things that are, you know, what our president uh, these days calls fake news. Um, and of course, that's turning things upside down a little bit. But when you look at the amount of information that uh, you are sharing with your readers, that people are consuming in Russia, what what is the news diet of a Russian person look like? Maybe that's the difference between bloggers and myself. Uh, I don't consider myself a blogger. I only write what I think, and I think what I analyze and I analyze not for the sake of an analysis but rather for the sake of um, what I'm doing for a living and this is what I have been doing for uh, over 20 years um, meaning international in financial investment um, and uh, uh, in addition to my education um, I also have this uh, international financial world uh, work experience and uh, um, successful investments and um, the ability to invest around the world is based on the analysis and uh, based on the analysis of the real events, news, trends, um, and n not on the analysis of fake news. So is it really just uh, the, about the fact that you have this knowledge and life experience that is helping you sort through things? I think that that's a big part of that. All right. Slava, well, uh, as an international uh, financial investor, uh, we've had, it's been two years since uh, Boris Nemtsov was brutally murdered outside of Kremlin. Uh, it seems that he has gained more friends than he's had while he was alive since he uh, has been gone. How do you feel that, you know, now Senator McCain, uh, Senator, I think, Graham, there's uh, several American politicians who I've never heard mention Nimtsov's name before who it, are just ready to talk about him at a, at a drop of a hat, which, which is probably a good thing. So my question to you is how has situation in Russia changed in the last two years since Boris Nimtsov uh, was murdered? Um, things in Russia have turned for the worse in a general sense. I think that uh, Boris Nemtsov had uh, uh, quite a wide following uh, internationally, including the U.S., and uh, Senator McCain um, is mentioning his name in um, sad circumstances of Boris Nemtsov's murder two years ago, but uh, I'm sure that Senator McCain knew 
um, Boris personally um, uh, while um, before that um, in terms of uh, uh, the Russian environment you know 95 percent of what Nemtsov has been predicting um, what's going to happen in Russia is actually happening in Russia and uh, um, the uh, initial uh, euphoria of the uh, broad masses of the population who um, who have been poisoned by the Putin's official uh, television propaganda, they um, slowly come to realization that uh, um, the, the reality is... Uh, hugely different from what they see on the television. And so it, it has been visible in the number of not only trolls um, who used to clog up all the comments uh, under um, any kind of a post or any kind of an article, um, and not only tr uh, such commenters from trolls, but rather from also from those people who uh, were whose thought process was completely fucked up by what they have been singing on the television without the ability to um, analyze and uh, in and think in abstract and in, in real terms and um, build uh, basic uh, relationships uh, in terms of the uh, um, cause and effect. These people are slowly, uh, uh, they slowly come to realization that uh, uh, much of what have been put into their heads is uh, complete garbage. And they're trying to figure out what is real, what is not. But unfortunately, it's a very slow process. And we are probably now in perhaps one third of, of that process. Um, if this process were uh, faster, then we would have been in over two-thirds of this process, which would have been a very good news um, one year prior to the next so-called presidential elections, uh, which would have been very useful um, uh, for the population at large. To, to realize that these are not presidential elections. This is just a, yet another special operation, as I call it, special operation of inauguration of Putin. And uh, if they were to come to this realization, they would have come out in the streets in mass, and that's what Putin's regime is afraid. I, I think Putin's regime uh, is only afraid of people in the streets. So only people on the streets. Other than that, not, nothing really matters because Putin is busy dealing with bigger and more fun things for him, like foreign policy. And that's where, I, I guess, let's, let's point our direction there. We have uh, the, the so-called Russian connection that's been extensively, um, thank goodness, uh, more and more covered uh, in American media. What is your perspective on this Russian connection and to what extent Kremlin may be uh, controlling uh, pres our, our president and his administration? Right. So 
this is a yet another special operation to install Trump in, in the US uh, as a Kremlin's agent and to dismantle the um, statehood of the USA. Even if that were even if that were the intention of the Kremlin's uh, bandits, um, it was done in the most funny way, and they would have received not a C but rather an F in the KGB school. But they, um, but didn't they succeed? Uh, well, the the, the um, um, expulsion of Mr. Flynn from presidential administration with with a scandal like that which is unprecedented really for the for any kind of incoming uh, administration throughout the history of the US I think in terms of the speed with with how it happened and the whole you know the whole uh, the whole scale of this thing when first they um, they uh, get into uh, Democratic uh, email threads. Then they um, speak with just about anybody, uh, not only with members of the future Trump administration, but but I don't know with with their uh, with their uh, uh, <laughs> um, they've spoken with everybody distant employees. They, 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 then they, then they um, deny that. Then they try to install their their own uh, people whom they bribed, and it becomes public that they bribed them. And then just anybody out there is a is the is Putin's agent, and and then um, they talk about Trump as their candidate for months on the Russian television. And then the Russian parliament is is joyful and uh, cracking um, uh, open champagne bottles on November the 9th, the day after uh, the election. And and the, the um, one of the completely idiotic head of um, uh, television channel RT, which is a Kremlin's propaganda channel in uh, various foreign languages, she tweets that she would like to drive around Moscow in her car with the American flag because they elected Trump and they deserve it. And that would be really opposite <laughs> of what we would expect. Uh, that's not the opposite of that's the opposite of what we would expect from an RT executive. Right. But 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 they are showing they're showing to the world that Trump has been installed by the Kremlin and they are joyful about it. And this is called a special covered operation of the KGB to install Trump. So it, it is so idiotic and counter um, and serves completely opposite purposes of what they initially wanted. So now Trump... Um, is running away from and has to run away from all these Kremlin-related scandals because they break out, if not every day, but seemingly just about every other day. And obviously, the effect of all of this is absolutely opposite. Trump 
cannot do anything um, in terms of his uh, promises and responsibilities to Putin if there were any. And uh, this seems like these people got an F in all of their operations in, in this context. So that, that's an interesting irony that I guess I'm seeing is that on one hand, KGB approach is that the end justifies the means. You know, whatever we have to do to get to our goal is fine because we don't really, you know, from KGB's point of view, they don't care about people. They don't care about rules. They don't care about any, any of those, you know, quote unquote petty things, little details, as long as they get what they want. You know, that's the you know one of the natures of KGB. But on the other hand, here they've accomplished what they wanted, but they're, you know, fingerprints and are all over everything and and that appears to actually defeat the purpose just the well you can word, you can word it in this way but i wouldn't even say that much because you're saying that they um seemingly achieved their goal but they didn't but, uh, they, you know, I mean, I'm sorry, they, it's hard to say they completely failed when the president they wanted, the candidate they wanted, they were able to influence the public to the point that the public elected the candidate they wanted. I mean, they may not, you know, th their intentions may not be fulfilled with the candidate, but they were able to put the person to help influence people to put the person there. It's a matter of definitions. Uh, it is true. You know, what, what, what? What, what, is what do we call it? What you know? What is a really human being? It's a matter of definition. What, you know, but what is the purpose of an installing Trump as as the president? The purpose was to have a great deal uh, with Trump, um, so that the U.S. would recognize the annexation of Crimea, the U.S. would lift sanctions, and the U.S. would uh, allow Putin to. Um, have his um, so-called quote-unquote legitimate interests in um, the sphere of the Russian influence. Basically, the, what they wanted is another Yalta agreement, another Ribbentrop-Molotov pact, another um, under-carpet agreement for the division of the world. And... Uh, um, First of all, no American president, even even with with no scandals and seeming uh, seeming ties to to the Kremlin in the first place, um, would have been able to um, to achieve all that from the U.S. side, and and uh, Trump, as it may sound, a, a, a really ironic is in the much more difficult position now on all of these points. So it doesn't really matter, Trump or not Trump, from this standpoint. It, it matters a lot for America and for the American people, whether it's Trump or not Trump. But what what is really happening versus the um, Kremlin and Putin's context, installing Trump there serves purposes which are counter to their initial goals because they failed in every single um, take on the long list of what they um, committed along that road. 
and and what has become public and what has what has caused uh, international scandals. And I'm sure that these scandals um, are not over, and um, these scandals have far-reaching uh, consequences, which have by far have not played out in at least in the U.S. in, in internal not only internal politics, but in the due legal process, I think. So, Slavo, if I understand correctly, then you're deeming uh, the Operation Trump, so to say, from KGB's point of view, a failure because it wasn't about making sure that Donald Trump was elected president of the United States. It's about uh, getting the United States to recognize uh, Crimea annexation, annexation and to also uh, to let the world be divided in the way that Russia wants so basically following Russian foreign interest and since that's not likely to happen the whole operation would be a failure yes and it's not only not likely to happen it is less likely to happen with Trump when everybody knows how and what Kremlin did in order for Trump to be elected so it is completely opposite to what they wanted. All right. You're listening to WSUW 91.7 FM, The Edge in Whitewater, Wisconsin. This is Rashkin Report, and I'm your host, Yuri Rashkin. I'm excited to welcome back to the program Slava Rabinovich, who is, uh, well, an international financial investor with an extremely popular uh, Facebook page. And uh, not, not everybody can claim that. That, I think, is a pretty unique status. Um, uh, Slava... Uh, if you can, uh, using your background, looking at the fact that Russian people, the, one of the differences between Russians and Americans is that uh, in America, people look at the price of oil at the gas station, and in Russia, people look at the price of oil in terms of barrels. How much is a barrel of oil these days? And it seems like the prices are um, going down somewhat. Um, do you feel that this is really going to hurt Putin's regime that is so heavily dependent on its, you know, sale of fossil fuels uh, to finance everything that it does? Or do you feel that even in a low 50s uh, per barrel, that if, you know, $51 is what it's been, I think, most recently uh, per barrel, Putin is still able to function and uh, accomplish whatever his goals are? Yuri, I think that the price of oil, as important as it is for the Russian economy and for the hard currency revenues that Russia gets, is a secondary factor to a primary factor, um, which is the um, definition of what is the e economic and, and political system um, uh, which uh, took shape in Russia. Uh, due to uh, Putin's um, re, no, due to Putin's dismantling of capitalism, um, Putin um, dismantled um, the emerging capitalism in Russia, which started from somewhat mid 90s uh, and continued through 2002. And he built his. He, he was constructing, and he was successful in, in building um, a bandit neo-feudalism. Um, a very um, good example of the disconnect of the price of oil to the Russian economic 
uh, growth relationship um, could be seen in 2013. And before that, of course, in 2008, when um, the first half of 2008 was associated with still um, rising commodity prices, and they were rising up to May and June of 2008, and in May of 2008, the price of, of barrel of oil reached $147 per barrel. A few months before that, in February of 2008, the Russian delegation to the World Economic Forum in Davos um, were saying, were bragging publicly there that while the rest of the world is falling into a global recession and the rest of the world started having difficulties um, in many areas and by that time uh, a couple of very large uh, hedge funds uh, already blew up uh, that that, that uh, were investing in um, uh, those instruments that uh, l later uh, um, brought down Lehman Brothers and several uh, other large institutions on Wall Street. And, and it, one month after that Davos World Economic Forum, in March of 2008, uh, Bear Stearns, one of the oldest investment banks on Wall Street, um, failed. And uh, it avoided full bankruptcy only because it was acquired for, by J.P. Morgan at a couple of pennies on a dollar. And, and still the Russians were bragging about Russia being a safe haven, being um, an island of stability, um, which, of course, was proven to be the most idiotic statement that a state delegation can say on the World Economic Forum in Davos because at the end of the day, Russia did fail in in being uh, a, a, a uh, island of stability. And moreover, when the world was in the global recession with GDPs of uh, various countries falling by, you know, that much, and we can see the leak tables of who lost um, what, Russia and Russian GDP fell by 9% in 2008, which was the most uh, uh, largest single drop among all, not only G8, by, by that time G8 uh, economies, but, but among G20 economies and among all countries that, that um, were included in uh, BRICS. Um, and, and so this was uh, already failing Putin's economic model which had nothing to do with capitalism, which had everything to do with a bandit neo-feudalism. Now, several years after that, Putin was lying on in almost every of his speeches that was broadcasted on the Russian television, saying that Russian economic situation is not rosy because the entire world is in recession and all um, Western economies are in crisis, which was an absolute lie. In 2013, the U.S. GDP 
was growing at the rate of 4%. At that time, the price of oil was $110 per barrel, and yet the Russian economy was growing exactly in the same year, in 2013, only at the rate of 1.3%, which was three times slower than the U.S., and we, even with this growth of 1.3% back then, the dynamics of this rate of growth was turning very, very negative. And it was absolutely clear that this 1.3% growth was just a, um, you know, statistical nothing in terms of what's going to happen um, very, very shortly, i.e. the growth of 0%, no growth, turning into negative, turning into economic um, uh, recession. And Putin, of course, did not want to take responsibility for putting Russia into recession very, very shortly after the 2008 and 2009 uh, crisis. He had no explanation and he could not have any explanation why Russia is going into the second recession while the entire world is actually growing and while the world um, market for, for, for commodities that Russia was exporting was actually booming. So is it and, all about corruption? Well, first... Putin did not want to take the responsibility, so he decided to change gears and to change the agenda um, on the Russian state propaganda. And he invaded Crimea and annexed it, changing agenda into uh, this uh, schizophrenic uh, imperial uh, euphoria with uh, um, a fake pseudo-patriotic um, kind of foam at, at the mouth. and um, But it did really help him split the opposition because there were lots of people who were opposed to uh, Putin before Crimea and the Crimea question has splintered the opposition because some were saying that Crimea is ours and some remained that uh, Crimea is not ours and that patriotic wedge has really been very effective. Well, he split nothing uh, okay. because... Because because those who started yelling Crimea is ours, this is not a real opposition. This is, I'm sorry to say, bullshit. Because if you have Putin's regime and if you have the opposition, the definition of the opposition is that these opposition leaders and their followers have to demand the change of the Russian um, political, legal, and economic environment into uh, most and foremost the rule of law. So, the so, if, so if they oppose, so if they oppose, if they supported annexation of Crimea, then they're not opposition by definition. Is that what you're saying? They're not. They're not because they are supporting uh, a brutal and violent. Um, um, the, the, the break of, breaking of, of the of the 
international law and of the Russian law, and it has nothing to do with the rule of law. And there will be nothing, I mean, the whole notion of democratic and capitalistic society is the rule of law. And once you um, deny yourself and you deny others the rule of law, there is no democracy and there is no capitalism. So this is not an opposition. I, uh, every single person who was saying about themselves that they were in the opposition, but they, they um, uh, are not opposing the annexation of Crimea, is not the opposition. They are the same bandits of a different color. All right. Slava, uh, the, the last area that I really wanted to kind of uh, um, get your opinion on, once again, you, you mentioned World Economic Forum at Davos in Switzerland. You know, this is where the, the super wealthy get together every year and, and, and have pleasant conversations about the world. This is like a, the new world order in a way. And uh, Steve Bannon, who is uh, Donald Trump's clearly most powerful advisor, is is no fan of Davos. Uh, Davos. He he wants you know he is anti Davos. On the other hand, um, Vladimir Putin has showed that he really I think that's that's one of his big goals is to be like you know respected man at that gathering. So how does that work together when you have you know your you know your your man in in Washington who says all these nice things about you. His main advisor hates the thing that you love. Um, is this where they can just kind of work things out, or do you think that this is a part of the problem that uh, Russia is facing with a failed Trump operation? Um, how do you look at those kind of uh, disconnects? Well, I don't know whether um, all of your listeners would be of the same thought process as I am, but um, my thought process is the following. Um, the uh, Trump administration and those who are close to him, they, in one way or another, they are generally anti-establishment. And uh, whether it's the genuine belief or whether it's uh, just a political posturing and the way to actually achieve their own goals and, and to be elected in the first place, um, this is their stance. And um, one can say that I am against Davos, I am against the establishment, and all of this um, further uh, rhetoric uh, may be just the means to do their own act and achieve what they want and to create uh, an, an alternative establishment uh, 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 or or um, go the same path of the um, what we would call a regular establishment um, and maybe align up um, uh, their pockets in the process. By the way, we haven't even um, yet seen Mr. Trump's uh, tax returns, and we don't even know what what his position uh, was and is. Uh, in terms of his uh, personal finances. But at least to be um, fair, his uh, personal taxes is, is one issue that is coming up 
uh, almost at every time, every conversation that involves uh, Donald Trump, which is a good sign, I think. Yes. But on the Kremlin side, well, first of all, um, I don't even remember exactly when was the last time Putin was at Davos, because it is clear that, um, um, especially after his uh, 2007 uh, so-called Munich speech, uh, which raised a lot of eyebrows around the world, portraying his... Uh, his um, um, kind of in the workings in a great contrast to what many people thought about him before that. I think since then he became uh, less and less and less acceptable as a um, conventional counterparty among decent people, so to speak. Um, and um, so, now, so now Putin is not invited to Davos because he's not decent enough for them and Steve Bannon doesn't like Trump because it's not his establishment as you know as you pointed out so maybe this so they maybe this is their common bond is that they both don't like Davos but for different reasons no but Putin actually does believe in various conspiracy theories as do ah, people in his <laughs> as as in his uh, kind of uh, the, uh, among those who who are close to, to Putin, he believes in uh, the uh, secret uh, world government. He believes in um, various conspiracy theories uh, behind Rockefellers and Rothschilds uh, of this world. Uh, having uh, this um, world conspiracy um, which uh, actually rules the world, believes in uh, Bilderberg's club and all of this uh, BS that, in fact, uh, most people um, in, in the Kremlin and around the Kremlin believe in. And so his um, um, secret uh, by now um, admiration and desire um, to be in Davos is uh, only uh, driven by this belief. It, it's not driven by <laughs> any kind of reality that is played out in Davos and elsewhere. So he wants to be in Davos to uh, hobnob with people that he thinks really run the world, and the reason he thinks in believes in this conspiracy is because he doesn't want to take a look in the mirror, basically, and figure out that maybe the reason people don't want to play with him is because he's a bully? Well, uh, I mean, because when, when you have somebody who is really, I mean, it's, you know, with all due respect to you, you know, to me, Putin is in a different situation than we are. He is much better informed about what's going on in this world because he's he's like functioning in the the top leadership level of uh, decision makers for the for the planet to some extent. And for those kinds of person, the same as for Donald Trump to say, well, there's you know you know to say that somebody else is running things is really kind of an interesting way of abdicating responsibility, doesn't it? Well, I think you're you. Um not quite correct uh, in your understanding of Putin's mental abilities. You are assigning. And that's why, that's why I only people. host the show. 
I think that, well, first of all, that's what I wanted to say when you said the world bully, and, and I stopped for a second to actually formulate. He's not a bully uh, anymore by any kind of international standards. He's a international terrorist and a war criminal. And these kind of words are uh, talked, uh, are said on the level of the United Nations. Uh, he has been also dubbed um, um, a murderer, a mass murderer um, in the U.S. by a very respectable U.S. journalist in the conversation, during the conversation with Donald Trump. And Donald Trump seemed not to actually deny that. Uh, that that's that's uh, my take on your incorrect definition of the world bully and uh, on the on the Putin's intellect intellectual abilities. I think he he's just a dumbass. That's that's all he is. If he weren't if he weren't if he weren't a dumbass, he would have uh, created a different. Uh, he would have created a different system of kleptocracy. Not this kind of kleptocracy that we have now. His um, existing kleptocracy is a kleptocracy where he cannot exit power. Nobody from among his um, close friends can exit power without being um, either jailed or, in fact, killed. All of the assets that they have stolen, most of them are um, not wanted in the world anymore. They are not being um, laundered, and they're not being legitimized, um, and the, these assets also cannot be safely um, owned and cannot be safely given to uh, their children and grandchildren. If he were not a damn ass, he would have created um, something of a Russian version, um, Eastern European, somewhat European slash Asian version of Saudi Arabia, uh, which is vastly different from from the Russia of today. The, the U.S. and and Russia, in the context of this Saudi Arabian Russian version um, um, state would have been um, America's biggest ally uh, in this part of the world. Um, there would have been a, a very close relationship and friendship. Um, Russian money would have been welcomed not only uh, all ac around the world, but also in, in the U.S. In, in the most favorable manner. Um, and this is, what, this is what Putin could have uh, created if he wanted to become a uh, the, the, the most uh, powerful, well, not the most powerful, but at least the most wealthy person in the world. Instead, he probably became the most wealthy person in the world, but with all of those, um, uh, you know, st structural deficiencies to put in mildly, for, for his own wealth, for his own status, and for the status of his friends, and for the status of the, of the whole country. I, I, and, and mind you, I, I haven't even started talking about how Russia should have been without Putin in terms of 
de de democratic um, system and, and capitalism. I only talked about what Putin, specifically Putin, could have done. But he did it in the most idiotic way, and that's because he's a bandit and he's a dumbass. So not a bully then. All right. I mean, perhaps, you know, it just seems like our definition of the word bully in America keeps getting expanded and shifted, but uh, it, it hasn't previously included international terrorists, so we'll, we'll go with that. So it's international terrorist and murder and, and, and other things you've said. Um, Slava, thank you so much, as, as always, for being on the program. You always bring such a great perspective. Um, let me ask you in conclusion, if uh, people are listening to this and want to do something you know, to change the situation, um, you know, the, the protests are becoming a very popular thing in this country. And of course, ultimately, there's there's voting, uh, which I think is really the key here. Um, but anything that you um, wish the listeners would uh, do if they care about the situation in Russia and the United States to make it better? Well, the listeners um, are voters and um, uh, the listeners are represented in uh, the U.S. Uh, uh, Congress and Senate by the congressmen and, and Senate members uh, from your districts. And so uh, we would all benefit um, by Putin's uh, regime failing faster rather than um, not as fast. And um, you should go to them and tell them that uh, they want... Um, congressmen and senators to to put uh, pressure on both houses of of the U.S. Parliament um, and on the president to actually expand sanctions against Putin's regime by introducing much wider personal sanctions against a much wider number of Putin's cronies so that we could have 2,000 people uh, under personal sanctions in Russia and have, you know, extra 200 people added to that list every two or three months so that by the uh, certain lapse of time we have, you know, 5,000, 10,000, 15,000 people under personal sanctions. And once we have these people under sanctions, they will find a way to do away with it, with this bandit Putin um, as, as, the head, as the head of Russia, who is really uh, threatening the world um, in our modern context of the 21st century um, by, by the modern um, equivalent of Adolf Hitler. And uh, I think that America at large and every single person almost um, underestimate how dangerous Putin and his regime are. And, and uh, so therefore, I think that a much wider personal sanctions will expedite the fall of this uh, criminal gang. Slava Rabinovich, international financial investor, um, Quite a popular blogger these days in Moscow, Russia. Thank you for joining Rashkin Report once again via Skype from Moscow and sharing your very important perspective with our listeners. Thank you.
Thank you. You're listening to 91.7 FM, WSUW, in Whitewater, Wisconsin. You're listening to Rashkin Report.